Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today on the show, we have with us Marty Dodson, hit country and pop songwriter, and the former lead singer of band Saving Jane, who racked up an international hit and two gold records to her name. She talks about the journey of making the move from Ohio to Nashville. Yes, another fellow Ohioan. And how you know when you're ready to make that move. We also stay on the theme of girls in the music business. And we talk a little bit about what her secret is to success in being a girl in this business. And we get to hear her story of having cuts on country artists like Luke Bryan and Thompson Square. And all the work that goes into securing a cut on a record. For those of you guys out there who are songwriters wondering, how do I get my start? How do I get my songs cut? Well, this is a good episode for you to listen to because she dives in very specific. And the thing that I also love about Marty is that she's a great teacher, too. Teaching something like songwriting is not an easy task. But she's a phenomenal teacher and has a passion to help up-and-coming and aspiring songwriters and artists hone their craft. So she gives us a few pro tips for that. So this is a good one to be taking notes on. So this is a great, great interview. But I just wanted to share with you a quick message about our music production mastery course before we dive in. Hi, I'm looking for the next big music producers I can add to our Grammy-winning team. And I've created a course to help you 10x your music productions instantly. Music Production Mastery. I show you how we do things like programming, drum, bass, and guitar production, getting pro vocals, editing, post-production, mixing, Logic Pro, and Pro Tools. Who can I help? One, music makers who are driven and passionate. Two, beginners and experts. You don't need tons of experience, but you at least have to be teachable. Three, you must be making great music or at least aspiring to. That's all. So why would I be giving away my secrets? Well, first, I love to teach. Secondly, I am actively looking for talent. Take a moment to enroll in the course and you'll be on your way to better sounding music productions right away. So as always, I just cannot thank you enough for sticking with us. This is episode 49 on the Full Circle Music Show. And you guys have helped us have a great first year. We are going to do something special for our 50th episode next week, but... As always, we ask the same thing, and if you haven't had a chance to do so yet, please do head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. It takes literally two minutes, and it helps us more than you realize. That stuff actually goes a long way for us podcasters doing the work, and we just really would appreciate that. So head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review, and we are going to jump into the studio, Franklin, Tennessee, with Marty Dodson. Got Marty Dodson here in the house. Hello. Thank you for being here on Full Circle Music Show. Thanks for having me. For those of you guys who don't know, Marty Dodson is powerhouse songwriter, artist, teacher, all of the above. <laughs> and had a band probably 16 years ago you started called Saving Jane. Yeah, we started in the early... OOs. <laughs> yeah. Just tell us a little bit of your backstory. You're from I know sure. I know we're both Ohio people. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm from southern Ohio, 
but I moved up to Columbus and went to Ohio State for college. And when I was up there, I wanted to be in a rock and roll band. And I met this guy at a campfire party and he was playing guitar like all cool guys do at campfires. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can sing. So uh, he was like, yeah, OK, whatever. Like, you can sing, I'm sure. So I sat down <laughs> and I asked him if he knew uh, Bobby McGee, the Janis Joplin version. And that was the first thing that we played together. And we kind of weirdly just started writing songs around the campfire that night. And so we went on to form Saving Jane. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys went on to have two gold records and yeah. some pretty massive songs on all kinds of TV and film. and Yeah, we had pretty good little run there. We were a band for about 10 years, and we had one song that did really well and one song that did kind of well. And after that, it was just the, the tale of the music business, just trying to make it work and failing. <laughs> yeah. Were you touring like crazy in that time, or was it more just like kind of a release a record radio single kind of thing. Yeah, we did a lot of regional stuff. We were signed to an indie label and our management and our recording studio was in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we did everything kind of in-house. We never had to move. Like our tour bus would come and pick me up at my house in Delaware, Ohio. So we kept it all there and did everything out of there. Talk about moving from an artist into the songwriter role. When did sure. you kind of know that you wanted to make that transition? I was writing still for myself for my records, but my publisher at that time and my manager sent me on a writing trip to Stockholm, Sweden. Ah. Um, wrote a bunch of stuff and it was, you know, a lot of pop stuff. There's a really strong community there of pop songwriters and pop artists. So they had sent me over there and a lot of the stuff that I wrote started getting pitched to other artists. And I didn't even know being a songwriter was a thing, a job. I always just wanted to be an artist who wrote my own songs. And I had come on my first co-write, which actually was in Nashville. And I was like, so what do you guys do? And they're like, this. <laughs> and they're like, but no way. Like, how do you make money? And they're like, this. And I'm like, so you don't have to go on the road. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And you can just be a songwriter. That was my introduction to considering that as a job. And then a couple of years after that, I took that trip to Sweden. Some of those things got cut by other artists. And I was like, oh, maybe this is something I can do too. And I still do write very much journalistically, I guess. Like a lot of what I write is my experience, my story, my whatever. So to know that I can do that and also have it relate to other people that they can cut it. That was my first time realizing that. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what were you doing kind of in that time? Were you still on the road, you know, making a living from the Saving Jane thing? Or yeah, I spent about probably two more years after that writing trip where some of that stuff got cut by other people, still pursuing artistry, still touring, making records. And then we had been together for a long time. I was about 10 years younger than most of the guys in that band. So they were kind of, everybody's settling down, getting married, having kids. And so it was just... I don't know. It kind of felt like this has run its course. Like there was no big breakup or anything ugly. And at that point I was just like, well, I think I'll give the writing thing a shot. And I did it back and forth from Ohio to Nashville for a couple of years. And then I made the move here in 2012. So yeah. Talk yeah. about that. Cause I mean, that's always the big leap for a lot of people is yeah. the, the Nashville move. I mean, how, right. how did you know you were kind of ready I was doing the back and forth thing and people definitely can be successful without being here. But for me, I found like 
when I left, it was sort of an out of sight, out of mind thing. So I would come here for a week, a month and write and it would be great. And I would get these songs, but then you leave and everything that's going on in town, you sort of miss out on. And so I was just like, I, I really need to be there. I really want to be there. And so I decided to go ahead and make that transition full time. And it's been great. I love it here. Yeah. Do you think it would have been possible to do what you're doing now and not live in Nashville? I think so. It's definitely tougher. I know some people that do it and some people that have made it work. But for me, because I don't, I'm primarily a lyricist and I do melody stuff as well, but I don't have, you know, I don't build tracks. I don't have a studio. So for me being, you know, must be present to win. (laughs) I know people that do it in other cities, but they are capable of kind of building their own tracks and like doing, having a product that they can create, you know, totally independently. And I can't do that. So. It made more sense for me to be here. So lyric and melody, just for a lot of listeners out there, because there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, I write lyrics or I Mm -hmm. write, you know, I sing or whatever. But how did you originally kind of find people to partner with who do that, who who are producers or build tracks? um, I always have written that way. So when I was writing with my band, I would go in and, and just sing, you know, this melody and a lyric and they would find the chords. And I really didn't start playing an instrument until a couple of years ago and I'm still terrible, but I I try. (laughs) Um, So I would just get paired either through my management or through my publisher with people. I like people, I call them noodlers, guitar players (laughs) that can just pick it up and they start playing chords or whatever. And they'll play 10 different things that all sound like they could be a song. And so I'll narrow in on one or two of those. And so it just, you know, you find your community of people that write that you gel with and that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about your writing process. Are you a person that likes to start with a title or lyric or is it a track or? I'm great at starting off with a, like a music bed, even if it's just a guitar, you know, a chord progression. I know people that have just, hundreds of titles sitting around I'm not one of those people (laughs) like I just my brain doesn't work that way in conversations I have a friend actually who was also named Marty Dodson (laughs) who is also a songwriter but he just how confusing is that oh I know we write together too it's our mission to get a cut (laughs) together so we actually wrote yesterday (laughs) but he's a person who can you know just have a conversation or hear something on tv and be like oh that's a song oh that's a song and I don't do that like I'm the person that says something you know, cool. And somebody else is like, Oh, that's a song. And I'm like, but wait, (laughs) but I said it. (laughs) So I just, I like to come off the cuff a lot of times with lyrics. I mean, I do have ideas for songs and concepts, but I like to just, I don't know. I'm a free flow. Yeah. I'm a gypsy songwriter. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We've kind of had this over the last few weeks theme of like girl power in the music business. Yes. For the first several episodes we're on like episode i think 49 of the full circle music show now and for the first lot of them my wife was like why do you not have any girls on the show <laughs> yeah and i'm just like well not really by any choice there just aren't yeah. as many in the in the music business it's for just, sure yeah i don't know if it's harder or maybe talk about your experience and your journey just sure being a girl in the music business it's kind of a weird dichotomy because there are Lots of women in our business, but there's just way more guys. For me, I grew up with four brothers. So I've always had a dynamic of, I was just always the girl like in with the boys. And then I started a band and I was the only girl. So I've kind of gotten used to that, just the way that that is. And it's never been a thing to me. Like I've always 
had a lot of guy friends. I've, like I said, brothers. And so coming here wasn't really, it didn't shock me the way that it does some people. And I don't know that I, I don't see it as a challenge in terms of being able to do good work. Where it becomes challenging for me is I write from a female perspective and I'm writing mainly country these days and there's not a lot of female artists and there's not a lot of places for those songs to go. So that's kind of where it gets tricky for me, you know, being a woman writing as a woman. Yeah. yeah. So do you feel like, I mean, I guess Nashville is maybe a little bit different town in this regard. It might be a little more progressive, but do you feel like women get kind of a fair shot in it? In Nashville specific? Yeah, or Nashville just in... or just the business in general? Um, I think so. I mean, there's still some culture things, you know, things that you would expect from 30 or 40 years ago of like, you know, women being expected to trade on looks or things like that. I mean, that exists still. But I definitely think if you've got the chops, you're going to cut through, you know, yeah. just my motto sort of is just keep your head down and do the work. And that's what I try to do. That's awesome. So what does that look like for you in a year? How many songs are you turning in? Um, I typically am writing, I think the last time I actually sat down and counted, which was a couple years ago, I had turned in 200 songs that year. Um, wow. So I write a lot and I like to write a lot. I feel like I'm, I feel, I feel like I'm getting away with something if I don't write every day, like I'm playing hooky or something. So 200 songs. That's, that's amazing. I don't think I've ever written 200 songs in a year. <laughs> I probably have the past couple years, I would say I've slacked off a little bit, but that was the first time I'd actually sat down and counted because I was getting in between publishing deals. So I was kind of doing all that paperwork stuff. And it was like, oh, wow. Like, wow. Yeah. And I, those are co-writes. Those were not like. Sure. Yeah. Not just you sitting in a room right. writing 200 songs. Nobody wants to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you kind of find your inspiration? Because, I mean, you, you write that many songs and it's like, sure. what's what's left, you know? Luckily, I mean, doing lots of co-writing stuff, you have everybody brings in their story that day or their element of what they're bringing to the table. Cause I do still like to write a lot of personal stuff just because typically whatever I'm going through or experiencing is just a human experience. And that's what makes great songs. I feel like, or the kind of songs I want to hear are just emotional, relatable life story stuff. And so I just keep hoping there's people that feel me out there. Yeah. <laughs> So do you ever run into like, man, have I written this before or am I writing oh, yeah. myself off? Or <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of times where, you know, titles will come up and I'll be like, or sometimes people will text me or email me and be like, hey, do you remember this song? And I will listen to the song and be like, no, I've never heard this before. And like, but we wrote this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, cool. It's pretty good. <laughs> like, good job. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of always my fear is like, man, I don't want to do the same thing twice and then yeah. have somebody get ticked off. And right. <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful with that because especially if somebody else brought in an idea or something that you want to make sure that you don't backtrack over some stuff that you've done. Yeah. I have to watch myself with like melodies or vocal runs because I'm, I'll repeat, you know, your voice only has, you have your specific range. So. Right. That kind of stuff. So since you started co-writing, is it kind of a never looked back thing and, just don't do it on your own anymore? Or? I don't, probably just because I'm lazy. Not because <laughs> I don't want to or I don't like it. I'm limited in terms of instruments and what I can play. So that frustrates me because I'll hear 
something in my mind a certain way. And if I can't make the chord, you know, I just get irritated and leave it alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do once in a while, I still write by myself, but it's my own like limitations that frustrate me. And I'm just like, well, why would I do this when I can sit in a room with somebody who's an incredible musician yeah. and I know that they'll get it. Right. Know? So, I mean, it seems like it's been paying off because you've most recently had cuts on Luke Bryan and yeah. Thompson Square, including their single. Which yeah. Is awesome. I mean, you, you shoot to get cuts, but then what you really want is a single. So that's, right. that's amazing. So you've got their current single. You make it look so good. What is that all like when it's, kind of coming to fruition. That one was really cool. And it happened fairly quickly in terms of our business. I think a lot of times people who are outside of this don't understand that, you know, you write, like you said, 200 songs or whatever, and that stuff's just sitting around, you know, if nobody cuts it. So we've got songs get cut that are five years old or 10 years old. That one was written, like it was my first write of 2015. And wrote it on Friday. It was on hold on Monday for them because my co-writer had sent it to a person at their label and they played it for him. And they were like, man, we really are into this. And they put it on hold, which means probably you've talked about this before, but just a hold is sort of a gentleman's agreement that nobody else can have that song while that artist has it on hold. But then they had it on hold for about a year. So we kept hearing like, it's going to come out in July. It's going to come out in October. It's going to come out in December. And so it actually came out in June of this past year. So it was about a year and a half from start to finish that process. Yeah. And so between that one and Luke Bryan, you talked about the Thompson Square cut. How did the Luke Bryan cut happen? Um, The Luke Bryan cut was a co-write with two other guys that write for my same publishing company. And I believe that was just a pitch, like an in-house pitch. I write for BMG. And so our publishers had pitched it to Luke's label and producer and Luke loved the song. I heard a kind of a funny story because everybody likes the newest thing. You know, even as a writer, the song that I wrote yesterday, I'll tell you myself, is the best song ever. <laughs> like We all get that thing where we just love the newest thing. So I had heard that Luke loved the song and my co-writer has a relationship with him. And so he called him up. He was like, stop listening to it, put it away, like come back to it. Because if they get, you know, love it too much or listen to it too much, it gets old. Yeah. And then the next new thing is the cool thing. So and that one was fairly quick, too. It was written during a camp. I usually do each year about a week or two camp geared at a specific artist where me and a friend of mine will write every single day and we'll add a different third. And that year we had done Tim McGraw and that was, I think, 2015. So we wrote all these songs with him in mind and then pitched them to him and he had passed on that one, but a couple of other people put it on hold in between there and then Luke got hold of it and he had it on hold, cut it in July, put it out in September of this past year. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, that's a massive cut. Yeah, that was really cool. A lot of people are always wondering, you know, how do you, if you're especially living in a small town and don't really have, you know, those connections or whatever, how does a writer write something and then it winds up getting cut on a record? Right. Nowadays, is that a pretty typical process for you where it's more you writing with co-writers and just your publisher pitching them? Or are you writing with the artist for their record? Um, I have not done a ton of artist co-writing. I've like after I got the Thompson Square single, that was my end to get a write with them. So we wrote and then they invited me on a writing trip the following week. And so like it's sort of 
if you can get in with somebody, there usually has to be a doorway into that where you come through vetted, I guess would be yeah. the, the right word. But I do just lots of co-writing with other writers and my publishers pitching those songs for me. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, it's tough when you've got a deal and when you've got somebody taking meetings every day and playing your songs, it's still hard to get those cuts. Yeah. And for people that aren't kind of aren't in this scene or in this mix, I think the most important thing is just getting better at your craft because good songs are undeniable mm. no matter what. If you have a deal or don't, that's how people get deals is they have great songs. So, yeah, you know, just keep working on that craft and making those songs better because the better they get, the more shots you're going to have. Yeah. So getting cuts on Luke Bryan and Thompson Square and artists like that, does it kind of feel like you've made it and everything gets easier? It feels good for a month. <laughs> I think it's it's a huge just sort of it makes you feel validated that, hey, OK, I am good at this because we I think artists in general struggle with that insecurity and the the self-esteem and the like, you know, one day you wake up and you feel great and you're you're the best songwriter ever. And then the next day I'm miserable. Why am I even doing this, this is terrible. Like So. It, you when somebody cuts a song, you just get that sort of validation that okay, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm good at this, but that wears off pretty fast because <laughs> yeah. you you know you have the day you're back to the daily grind of trying to get more. And I think I hope for me, I don't know if this is similar for you. I hope to get to a point, and I'm kind of there where I just enjoy the process. I write because I love writing and I love songs and I love music. It's a trap that you can fall into. I've written with really, really successful people that just keep worrying about how to stay relevant and how to stay, you know, get current cuts. And you have to do that because it is a business. But at the same time, if you don't love doing the work of it, just in that being the reward, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. And I know we've talked a little bit before. One of the things that we've connected over is that you do a bit of teaching on, yeah. on songwriting, which is actually kind of a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of weird. <laughs> like, how do you teach somebody how to write a hit song? Because it's all kind of subjective anyway. Sure. You know, and all the rules that we teach, the next song you hear probably go out the window or whatever. Yeah. But I think they are helpful in terms of just giving people a framework for where to even start. So could you give maybe a, a few of your kind of pro tips that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listeners might benefit it is from. A, yeah, it's a weird thing to, I didn't think that I could teach anybody how to write songs. And I think, I still don't know if I could sit down with somebody that's never written and be like, here's how you do it. But I can definitely help people get better at it. And I think that's what I aim for. So one thing that comes up a lot when I'm working with people that are sort of new to songwriting or just trying to improve at that is are you saying something new or saying something old in a new way? Because that I think is really important for us. You know, these artists and these record labels are hearing hundreds of songs every week. So if yours doesn't stand out or if yours doesn't say something fresh, it's going to get passed over. So sometimes it's just taking language and being like, how can you color this up and say, you know, my heart's broken. Well, okay, we've heard that. What spin could you put on that? So that's one thing is just coming up with newer, clever ways to say stuff, I think is a big, a big skill that I try to help people work on. Uh, hooky melodies are really important. Those little earworms, 
even songs you hate, they get stuck in your head for a reason. Yeah. So working on that stuff too, like how can you make this more interesting or make it more, you know, is there a way to repeat it that it gets in your head? Those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think with a lot of people, that's kind of just comes out of like, at least for me, I know if you just listen to a lot of it, like yeah. listen to lots of pop music, listen right. to, if that's your target is to write songs that get cut and singled, I mean, you got to kind of listen to the radio. Right. Do you have like a weekly listening thing or like? <laughs> <laughs> I, do you... I don't listen a lot just because I, I'm always fearful of ripping something off um, and I don't want to get other people's melodies and stuff stuck in my head. Yeah. So I try to just, I listen to my friends a lot, stuff that other people are writing. I do listen to stuff that's getting cut so I know what's happening right now so I can try to be relevant in that scene. So that's why writer rounds are so cool in Nashville. Yeah, do you, absolutely. You do a lot of writer rounds? I do. I played last night. I do maybe one or two a month. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just for people listening, what is a typical writer's round look like? So it's usually four or five songwriters and you're either sitting in a circle or sitting in a row on stage and then you just take turns playing songs, acoustic guitar. There's usually no band or anything like that. And it's kind of a storyteller deal where you, this song is about XYZ. And I use it a lot to try out new songs and see how they go over, see if people, if there's one that people grab onto, then I think, oh, maybe this is worth demoing, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the crowd, I mean, the crowd who shows up could be just whoever, just anybody at the bar yeah. or whatever. Yeah. There's a couple of venues in Nashville that are really great for people show up to listen because it's tough. This is, this is a tough town to get people to pay attention because there's talent everywhere you turn, probably you know, if you go out to dinner, your waiter is probably a better singer than you. So it's, <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> it's, you have to really stand out here to get people to pay attention. But there are certain venues that really stress that and they ask the audience to be quiet and and just this is a songwriter's town. Yeah. This town is built on songs. Yeah. So being in a place where people will listen is really important. That's awesome. Well, I, I love it. It's something that I don't think exists a ton in other styles of music. Like, yeah. there's not really like pop that I know of, pop right. or like if you're writing Christian music or worship, there's not really writer rounds. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sort a of a thing. unique to Nashville thing. Yeah. Which is cool. So I think a lot of people that have kind of watched the show Nashville probably yeah. have a little bit of an idea of it. Yeah. <laughs> I know there there are some elements of that show that are hilarious, but there are some that are really, I mean, pretty close to real life here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So looking back over your journey from moving to Nashville, st even before that, go back to pre-saving Jane. Sure. Days. What would you say to Marty Dodson before jumping into this music business, knowing what you know now? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, hang in there. Like it is the singular hardest thing I've ever done in my life but I love it and that is what's kept me going like at that time I think I was 18 or 19 and wanting to I wanted to be an artist who wrote my own songs that's all I dreamed about and I also believed that that would happen for me like without question and I had no reason to think that like I didn't have a record deal when I was 18 I didn't have anything at that time there weren't even American Idol shows or stuff like venues like that for people to get out there but I just believed it I don't know why and it, I had lots of people try to talk me out of it you know my mom 
wanted me to do anything other than music. And I remember a hilarious like fight at Ponderosa Steakhouse with <laughs> me and my mom <laughs> next to the salad bar where I was starting Saving Jane and she didn't want me, you know, playing in bars and doing that stuff. And I just was all tearful and, you know, self-righteous. And I was like, mom, I'm going to make it. Like, <laughs> but I really believed that. And, you know, from this point, looking back at that stuff, like you have to believe it like that. And you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot of things, as you know, your relationships suffer, your friendships suffer, because it's a single-minded pursuit when you're trying to be successful in this business. You have to be willing to give it everything. And I would almost say, I've had people come to me and say, you know, all I'm thinking about being an artist. And my thought is always, sometimes I say this and sometimes I don't, because I don't want to discourage anybody. But if you're thinking about it, you're pondering it, you're probably not one. Yeah. People are artists because they are, it eats you alive if yeah. you're not. So hold on to that. You know, it's going to beat you up. Doors are going to slam in your face all the time. People are going to tell you you're not good enough all the time. Don't listen. Keep going. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. We always talk about on the show and a lot of the stuff that we do at our academy is that there's really only two ways to learn in life. And it's either mistakes or mentors. Yeah. That's and cool. by you being here today, you're a mentor for a lot of people listening. So well, you're welcome, guys. What exactly? <laughs> if you care to share, what is one like looking back over your journey here? Mm -hmm. What is like one major crazy mistake that you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that won't get you in trouble and lose your publishing deal. <laughs> right, yeah. If there's one thing, like, I think it's more of an attitude than a one singular mistake. But I believed, you know, when I had somebody who had been successful that was going to invest in my career, I was willing to do anything they said. You need to dress like this. You need to, you know, write like this. You need to talk like this. And I said, okay, like I want this, so I'm going to do whatever you say. In hindsight, I feel it like that's not me at all. I'm, I'm a pretty headstrong, I know who I am person. So just that mindset of being like, okay, like Mr. Music Business, like right. I'll do whatever you tell me. <laughs> that's a mistake. If you don't have your own identity as an artist, as a songwriter even, it's not going to work. Yeah. If somebody else is telling you who you are or crafting you, you might get a, a hit or a, you know, a big song, but you're not going to sustain a career built on a fake thing created by somebody else. Yeah. Not that Saving Jane was not that, but there were times that I capitulated to things I didn't want to do just in, in crafting our image or whatever, like that I wish I hadn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kind of wrapping things up, what is it that kind of keeps you going and waking up every day and, and writing those 100 sure. or 200 songs a year? I've touched on this, I think, but I just love it. I love music. It pulls at me emotionally. Like I can look back on every milestone in my life, every brokenhearted moment, every triumphant moment, and I can remember whatever song, like not my songs, but just songs like I love the way music touches people and it heals people and it has saved me over and over. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here today. And yes. uh, let's maybe try to actually write a song now. So Holler, yeah, <laughs> let's get it done and then we'll make it on the end of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Marty Dodson in thank the house. You. 
Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Kaylee Ingram and Jericho Scroggins. Head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. And for those of you aspiring music producers, head over to musicproductionmastery.com. If I would have had something like this when I was getting into production, this would have saved me a lot of steps and a lot of really just trying to figure it out on my own. So we kind of pull back the curtain on our production process and show it to you. So again, check that out at musicproductionmastery.com. We'll see you next week on what will be our 50th episode of the Full Circle Music Show. I'm Seth Mosley. Have a great week.